Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Haynes. Hello, we are here with Will, the founder of Diversify, a exchange on L2, giving you gasless transactions. How are you doing today, Will? Very well. Very glad to be on the podcast. So I, you've been in crypto uh, quite some time, uh, as I learned recently, upon doing some research for this interview. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an engineer by background. I studied at Cambridge in the UK. Um, I got into Ethereum very early and got very excited by it sort of before the, the original, um, original ICO. And ever since was just sort of fascinated, started going to lots of hackathons, working on it in my spare time as a student. Um, upon graduating, I went to work at IBM where it wasn't so exciting. Uh, I was working on some blockchain related projects, but mainly um, other, other work. And I quickly uh, left there in 2017 and joined Bitfinex, which was at the time, I think the largest cryptocurrency exchange by volume. Um, and there, I was kind of their Ethereum specialist. So I was working on all sorts of projects, um, including like the first listings of ERC-20 tokens. And then one of my biggest things was I worked on uh, the Tether Ethereum contracts, which I then deployed and as now I think one of the most used um, tokens out there uh, in the entire ecosystem. And then I uh, worked over the next sort of two years on Ethernex, which was a, an exchange for Ethereum-based tokens, which is kind of within the Bitfinex umbrella. We launched an IEO platform and lots of other things. And just over a year ago, we decided that the time was right to, to spin out and create a new company. Um, and that was what Diversify is. Uh, and really to focus on layer two exchange, basically with the kind of thought in mind that Ethereum layer two was almost ready. It, was, it wasn't at that time live, but all the technology and all the ideas were already out there. And it was the perfect time to kind of take my experience of building high-speed scalable exchanges in a kind of more centralized space and do it in a decentralized way using this new technology. And so we, we spun out and launched um, Diversify last June um, on mainnet. It was the first ever exchange to go live using Starkware as our partners, um, as the scaling solution. And since then, we've been very much focused on like product and really improving the user experience. And now it's really getting to a point, I'd say sort of you know, six to nine months later, where layer two and Diversify in particular is sort of becoming this kind of um, new, new, like ecosystem that's much more accessible to most people because you don't pay transaction costs you can do a lot more than just trade, but you can also earn yield and transfer tokens to others. And we're starting to see this future where six months from now, people may not even go via Ethereum mainnet. A lot of people may onboard um, directly onto layer twos and start to use them. And so um, the, the next stage for us is that we're now finally launching a Diversify token, which will allow people to um, really kind of be part of what we've built so far and help to shape it going forward. And we're really excited by that. All right, I want to take us back to Bitfinex, which is a quite a quite an impressive company in the sense that they have their 
their hand in many pots. They're doing many different things um, from just trading, L2 trading, Tether, right? Um, there was a lot of issues or perceived issues of Tether um, over the past few months. Um, there was, you know, there it was an audited. There was issues with the banks. People were making a big fuss. And it seems like this whole thing concluded with... Um, kind of a settlement and people can move on with their lives. Well, why do you think there was this perception or this narrative about Tether? I think, um, you know, it's completely natural that anything that's very big and very um, successful in the industry is going to get a lot of scrutiny. We're an industry that cares about decentralization above all else and about, you know, making sure that power doesn't go to a small number of entities um, and so I think Tether has almost been kind of a victim of its own success and that it's so widely used. There's now $45 billion in it that, of course, it deserves to be scrutinized and it should be scrutinized. Uh, and it therefore has been um, clearly, you know, with the recent settlement, what they're doing has been like, you know, found to be to be safe and, and, and you know, all, all backed and, and, and done right. But equally, probably there's a lot of lessons there, like in terms of image and in terms of like how it was done, um, could have been done a lot better, I think. And um, yeah, but I think it's just a natural process of growing up. And I think Tether is always learning, um, you know, like on, on Diversify, we, we have a lot of Tether pairs, mainly because they're the most, um, most popular for people to trade with. And uh, we're now adding like some USDC pairs and, and pairs against DAI. And those are like increasingly being used, but still Tether is the number one most uh, popular. And I think that's just like, um, just as partly because of the history and, and being there the earliest. One thing that was pretty impressive yesterday, we had the Coinbase IPO, but I saw that on TRX, there was a $2 billion uh, Tether Mint. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but that's just a huge, huge number just to appear out at once. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, that's honest, honestly sort of, crazy and I suppose it shows the kind of place we are right now in the industry these sorts of billion dollar numbers 100 billion dollar IPO that just starts to become normalized which is kind of odd and like obviously we've come a long way um in the last few years but equally uh you know we're actually still at the early stages of where of where things are going and, and DeFi in particular is, is, is even earlier but we're start, you know we're reaching these these milestones and um yeah it's it's pretty exciting on the, uh, I, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on the Coinbase IPO. I mean, you kind of already touched on it, but it's a big deal and huge valuation, of course, and uh, kind of a competitor for Bitfinex, of course, an exchange, kind of maybe a different approach to trading. Um, but uh, any thoughts on, on on the launch? I think it's I think it's a huge milestone. I think it's really impressive, really exciting for everyone in the industry, whether you're a user of Coinbase, whether you're building a competitor exchange, whatever, it's still a huge validation of what, of what we're all building. Um, you know, I, I think Coinbase has come a long way in the last nine, 10 years. And um, the, the, the kind of interesting thing, I think that it's framing for a lot of people in the industry is, wow, if, you know, this, uh, you know, what is one of the largest centralized exchanges um, serving retail customers is worth that much, what are all these DeFi protocols that are emerging going to be worth in a few years time? Um, obviously, you know, we're, you know, we're many years behind what's happened in the centralized exchange world, but in many ways, so what Coinbase have built 
It's a great user experience. It's really simple. It allows people to get involved in cryptocurrencies and they get that taste for having Bitcoin, having Ethereum, controlling their own assets. And I think it's just, it's just going to be a gateway for more and more people to then come and say, well, if I can have these assets, I also want to be able to trade them, earn yield on them, transfer them without having to trust a centralized party like Coinbase. Um, and to get access to all of these DeFi opportunities in particular. And so from, you know, the way I see it is this is going to be just growing the overall size of the pie, but then feeding people into the DeFi ecosystem. And I think that's going to be the next you know, area of growth. And so, you know, many of those exchange tokens out there or DeFi tokens could also be worth, you know, and, and aspire to those same valuations. Personally, you know, I think, um, Obviously, we're in a huge bull market, and so you know, it's. It, I think any any valuation, including the Coinbase IPO, should be taken with a pinch of salt. And then, you know, but long long term, I think it's it's completely going to be justified. And um, so, uh, I, and we're we're still really early. You're someone who straddles the world of dexes and sexes. And in a way that I think most people don't, I certainly don't. I really don't use many centralized exchanges um, all that often. I'm, I'm, you know, pretty much only within DeFi. But what, what do you see the role of the centralized exchange versus uh, the decentralized exchange? So, to be honest, like even on a personal level, I I had a turning point where I'd say until. Early 2019, I used almost exclusively centralized exchanges, even though there were already some decentralized exchanges out there. You know, actually at that point, I was already building some decentralized exchange tech. Um, but it just, just the reality was that most things I needed to do, including like earning yield, most big trades on most tokens, I needed to use centralized exchanges for. Same with like onboarding with fiat, offboarding, and I used you know dexes when I could, but it was rare. And from sort of that that point in 2019, especially like I think around the launch of and really big takeoff of like MakerDAO and Dai, the fact you could get leverage with ETH and all the all these other kind of components and building blocks, I, I found that ever since you know probably 90 to 95 percent of what I do it happens on on Dexes on a personal level, and um, that's just because utility has grown so much. Um, that actually there's kind of opportunities and yields that aren't available necessarily on centralized exchanges. And you have that extra element of control. You're not worried about your withdrawal being slow or being frozen or whatever else. And so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a full believer in the fact that DeFi will eventually supplant almost all of what the end, end, end users do. But right now, most people are priced out of it. So, you know, it's great for you and I and, and people who have been in the, in the space for a while and also who kind of you know, are kind of willing to pay these these gas prices and 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 use on chain products, but actually, if you're coming in for the first time and you just want to you know get some um, some Ethereum and earn some yield on it, the cost of using like most of these protocols is still pretty prohibitive and just kind of shocking as the, as a as your kind of first impression. And the UX is also still pretty difficult. So those two things are really what needs to change for I think. DeFi to, to become dominant. Sexes, I think, will still have a role, especially on onboarding, you know, putting putting capital in and kind of the, the really sort of, you know, like our, our grandmothers who want to buy cryptocurrencies um, and, and hold them. But I think increasingly for your kind of mid-sized average investor who is a bit more savvy and wants to get yield and do, do a bit more with their assets, DeFi is going to be the place. And I, I really see this. I, I, what, what I'm imagining is... 
um, sort of people will, will go first to these centralized exchanges, but then they will directly onboard from those onto layer two platforms like Diversify, um, where they don't need to go via layer one and pay these high gas costs, but they still get all the access to DeFi products and increasingly those can be integrated more into kind of centralized exchange user journey. Um, but that's where I think most assets will be held. That's where most liquidity will end up being. And already we're seeing like liquidity almost get sucked, especially for a lot of tokens to only exist in DeFi. Um, and that's going to become I think, more common. Is that something you're building uh, fiat on off ramp to diversify or you're waiting for someone else or some partnership or something like that? Yeah, so we have a really simple um, version at the moment. We have a partnership with Ramp uh, where you can um, basically deposit small amounts of euros, pounds, other currencies. Um, and that's like a, an easy way of getting small amounts on. Um, I think the, the kind of longer term solution that we're working really hard on is um, we have actually several partners, including Bitfinex uh, as exchanges. And we want to make it very easy for people to onboard with funds from those exchanges onto Diversify. Um, and that's like something that's a priority for us in the next two months. Two months. Very exciting. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a challenge uh, onboarding itself. I, uh, my parents want to, they're starting getting interested in crypto and I just offer them so many different solutions, but it's like very difficult to go through the KYC. It takes so much time and, and they're asking for all these random bank details. So um I uh, hope that process gets smoother. Um, but once you're in, it's very easy. Just getting in and out is the is the issue. I agree. So uh, you're built with Starkware technology. What went into partnering with them? Um, and how, how has that process been? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how much. Yeah, I mean, Starkware is... Uh, a, a big team. They're really well-funded based in Israel. Actually, you know, a lot of their team has like backgrounds in the Israeli military. They've got extremely like high levels of knowledge around cryptography and security. Um, big big and, like, brains. Yeah. Huge brains. Um, <laughs> and so working with them I, was, was like a, a great experience. And we were, but the thing is we were the, uh, we were the first team to work with them. So they hadn't, they, they'd done a lot of like proof of concepts. Some of them were quite well-known. They did one with the zero X project. They did one um, with with the kind of Reddit Bake Off, but they hadn't done anything live in production. And so we were working with them almost as like the guinea pig um, of the process. And so there was a kind of a, a little bit of back and forth. We had a, a really strong development team who had like history building exchanges, but we hadn't obviously worked with any layer two solution before. And so there was there was a lot of learning, um, but it was it was a great process. It took about sort of I'd say six to nine months of like full time working together to really get this thing live. Um, and when it first went live, there was a lot of celebrating. But actually, even though in theory it all worked, you know the technology worked. Um, where basically what happens is that all of these transactions that get generated by users, so every time they do a trade or a deposit or a withdrawal. Um, we basically put them into these proofs, which Starkware then sort of generate and submit on chain to get verified by this contract to prove that everything was valid using this zero knowledge proof technology, which is kind of the, the big breakthrough um, in terms of scaling. Um, all of that like worked, but the actual user experience was just terrible. Um, so you had to like generate this new 
private key essentially and then sign stuff and it was really confusing and and and, and sort of scary and i think that was um you know we, we, we'd been focused so focused on the technology side that it became actually hard like to use um and that's then like what we've done a lot of over the last six months is just really improve that side there's still a lot of work to do but it's becoming so much easier to use um and like i think it you know it's going to get to the point where it's easier to use even than normal layer one DeFi, because you know, when, when you try and trade on uniswap there's all these trades and, and transactions that could fail you have all this wasted gas uh, like it's really frustrating and that's the stuff that you can easily get rid of on layer two um and so yeah, like we're kind of now at the point where I think we're we kind of we've caught up with layer one, and now like the UX is just like improving, um, and going to keep improving. So, <clears throat> one of the big uh, selling points of Ethereum is this idea of composability, uh, being able to use you know collateral in different places, yield on yield, all these ideas. Um, when you're building on something like uh, Starkware, you lose a lot of that. So I'm sure that's something you're thinking about how to how to make it more composable. Um, what what are you going to try to do to like actually build an ecosystem so that people can you know use these tokens across different apps? Yeah, it's a really good point, um, and I think that's that's the biggest trade off that a lot of projects who are now looking and deciding whether to go onto layer two are thinking about is: Do you want to go for an app application specific scaling solution like using Starkware where um, you get maybe a thousand times more scaling. So, you know, a, 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 the cost of a trade on Diversify is like extremely, extremely low, like what, you know, one cent, um, for like in terms of like what it costs to generate the proofs. And you can have a lot of them, hundreds of, you know, 60,000 um, in a proof, et cetera. And so, you get really good scaling benefits, but it's not as flexible. You can't have the full composability of everything else. And you know, just by the fact of being on layer two, you have, you have less composability with layer one as well. Um, whereas if you choose something like Optimism and Arbitrum, which obviously haven't launched yet, but will have full EVM compatible compatibility, you can in theory launch anything that you can have on layer one and all these smart contracts can interoperate, but you only get the kind of 10X of scaling, not a thousand X. So you're going to trade. You're making that trade-off basically. And, and for Diversify, we've gone very much for the okay. We want the the most scaling we can get, the lowest cost, but like we've sacrificed some flexibility. But we think that's okay because what we're actually targeting is making DeFi mainstream. We want 95% of people to be able to access this and do 95% of what they actually need to do. So if you want to trade, you can do that on all the major tokens. If you want to earn yield, you can do that on all the, you know, in all the best yield farms, Aave, Compound, et cetera. If you want to transfer, you can do that again without like a gas cost. Um, and it's all self-custodial from any wallet, MetaMask, Ledger. And I think for most people, that's going to solve their problems. But um, if you want to do the kind of craziest yield farm um, on some new derivatives protocol or whatever else, you're not going to be able to do that on like what on our like specific stuff. You might be able to do that on some other layer twos that are EVM compatible, compatible, and like the lead users, the ones who are like you know actually people who are earliest, like probably us who do actually use that stuff, might want to use those more flexible solutions. Um, but one of the ways that we've really like one of the things we really focused on and, and launched about a month and a half ago now is this transaction type called conditional transfers and it so I'll, I'll kind of describe how it works and it um it it sounds simple to start with but what you realize you can do with this is really 
use it as a building block for composability between all layer twos and between layer two and layer one. Um, so yeah, this, this, this thing called conditional transfers is a transaction type that we have in, in the kind of Starkware scaling solution. And we use it at the moment for instant withdrawals from Diversify to layer one. Um, so for example, say you had five ETH on Diversify and you want to withdraw it. If you wait for a normal withdrawal, and this is a problem with all layer two solutions, there's sometimes a delay because you need to wait for that to be basically be like inclu either included in a ZK roll-up proof or um, wait for kind of some sort of validation period for um, the data to be checked in like an optimistic roll-up type scenario. So withdrawals can be slow, but instead uh, you send me your five ETH using this conditional transfer and you say, you basically sign to say it's only valid if I also send on layer one, you five ETH. So what that means is I've now got your five ETH on layer two and you've got it on layer one, which is what you wanted with your withdrawal, but it was instant. Um, and that building block, which sounds simple, can be used to do much more complex things. So for example, from layer two, you could you could do a deposit into Aave or Compound. You could do a trade on Uniswap using this conditional transfer. Um, and it actually makes, it's actually a building block for composability. So we first started using that about a month and a half ago, but there's all these other ways you can use it, including actually interoperability with other layer twos. So if you, I, I think we're gonna get to a point maybe, you know, I think it will, it will happen this year where you can have interoperability between a lot of these layer two solutions. Um, you can have composability, you can move funds instantly between them. Um, and that will kind of take down this initial fragmentation that we're going to see as all sorts of yeah, protocols and, and users start going to different side chains, layer twos. Um, and I think we're going to end up with okay, this kind of really vibrant interconnected um, system, but where different applications can choose scaling solutions that suit them best, but from the user perspective, they can seamlessly move between them. So what you described is kind of like a atomic swap from L2 to L1, where it's like kind of- That's uh, exactly uh, it. Mm, interesting, I, I haven't heard of that before. Um, so do you need a liquidity provider for that, I mean, who's you know who's facilitating yeah. the trade? That uh, basically at the moment we act like as the as the oh, layer two operator, we act as a liquidity provider. So we hold some funds on layer two and some funds on layer one, and then like let you swap between them um, without having to trust us. And then in the future, that's going to be provided by a pooling system, so users can deposit their funds into this like into this liquidity provider pool for these these instant withdrawals and instant inter into uh, sort of movement between layer twos and earn yield on them. So, you know, a small fee is paid each time you like withdraw to another layer two or to layer one. And that goes into this pool um, of funds that is held by, by uh, anyone who wants to provide, like basically act as a liquidity provider. So it's another way of earning yield, but for these like layer two specific um, services. Can't you run into an issue where like there's some imbalance and then there's actually no funds because it does take time to move it from the from the L2 to the L1. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. So if everyone was like withdrawing at the same time, you'd run out of funds like either on layer one or layer two. Um, and you have to have a dynamic pricing model. So if, you know, if, if there's a huge demand for it, then 
the, the, the kind of fee should go up and that will incentivize more people to then deposit funds as a liquidity provider. The nice thing about this, and like this is an advantage of like the ZK roll-up based solutions um, like Starkware, is that because you're only waiting for like each proof, that, that's usually not going to be more than a few hours. Um, so you only need to provide liquidity for that time. Whereas there are some like scaling solutions like Optimism that have a much longer, like basically dispute period around withdrawals. So if you wanted to rebalance on those, you might have to wait up to seven days, in which case like that, that is a bigger problem because there's no, you know, you, you can't get the funds out for that time. And therefore the liquidity revision like goes up and it's less capital efficient. And so there's going to be like, you know, different, different problems for different, different scaling solutions, but ultimately, um, yeah, like at least, at least for us, like, because it's only a few hours and you can have this pricing model, it just means that there's more, it's, it's almost a new opportunity in a way for people to, to earn yield and it'll, it'll be a marketplace. Is there any way to earn yield um, on Diversify right now? So right now there's one way, but it's not, it's not presented very nicely, which is that you can, you can basically buy CUSDT. Um, so if you wanted to deposit your like USDT and compound, um, you can do that on layer one, but it costs you like $80 in gas. Um, you can, you can essentially do that without paying the gas on diversify just by trade, like, like trading your USDT for CUSDT. But we're currently like doing the final testing on a really nice, uh, like yield UI to make this easier where it's you know, presented as deposit and withdraw. Um, and you can then earn yield on your funds basically via compound Aave and um, like also staked ether uh, via Lido. Um, and this is, I think the kind of future of what, what we really want diversified to be. It's not just trading, but also earn yield and keep your funds there. And, and sort of once you move to your layer two wallet, there's not really any reason you need to go back to layer one um, because you can do all of these things. The nice thing is that you know, we spoke about composability. Actually, all of those layer one protocols are basically composable already with layer two, because if you have like all of these yield bearing tokens, like Aave tokens, compound tokens, state ether, they, they're already like tokenized. So it doesn't really matter that they're on layer one. People can deposit the interest earning tokens. Um, and then you can have, you can basically have the same systems on layer two, even without the full protocol being deployed. So you're able to kind of share the liquidity, share the yield um, onto many different layer two solutions. And um, that's, yeah, that, that's a kind of really nice benefit of the way that the entire ecosystem of protocols has been designed. So you mentioned uh, token at the beginning of the show, and I assume that there will be some yield opportunities that come along with that. So what is the purpose of the token? And um, tell me about the launch. Yeah, so I think you know. Hopefully, it's 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 clear from like what we've spoken about so far. Like, Diversify has been building a lot of cool stuff, and we've got a really top like team. Um, it's been like night, you know, quite a while since we launched on mainnet, so it's now battle tested and in re really high quality. Um, but we've never had that bigger kind of community or ecosystem. Like, it's we've, we've been pretty quiet and focused on building, and really, we see now as being the time that we want to accelerate like our, our sort of explosion onto the, uh, and kind of have more of a community around what we're building and, and sort of hand it over in, in a sense. Um, 
So the launch of this diversified token is going to be primarily a governance token that can be used um, and, and by anyone who, who stakes their tokens to adjust various parameters of the system, including like the fees charged on trades, um, the split of fees that go to token holders, um, and also to run a liquidity mining campaign. So we've gone for a very like community focused distribution. And that's really kind of because that's what we're prioritizing is this future community we want to grow. And 50% of all of the diversified tokens will be distributed via liquidity mining to anyone who basically deposits to diversify and um, will deposit into our new AMM pools. So currently we have like order book trading as the primary way, but we're launching one month from now these AMM pools that allow you also just to deposit like Uniswap very easily and, and earn yield. Um, and in addition, you'll be earning DVF tokens for doing that. So over time, that what, would, that could would you? Sorry, what did that mean? You you like as you explained before, you are on the L two, then you hit a button and it provides yield on Uniswap. So you have liquidity on on Diversify and Uniswap. What was that? No, so it's it's not on Uniswap. This, these will be like specific. I mean, specific pools on Diversify only. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. For for like for example, like let's say we list a new market of um, X Y Z against um, ETH. You, 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 you provide XYZ and ETH and then you're earning fees on every trade that happens on Diversify and you also earn DVF rewards via liquidity mining. Um, and then anyone who stakes their DVF tokens earns a percentage of the fees uh, that are collected by the kind of governance module. So it uh, really allows people to kind of be really involved in what we're doing, have a direct governance sort of say over various of the parameters um, and also, you know, I think will be really important for um, growing the community via liquidity mining. And up until now, have you done any um, raises? We did um, a really small raise, uh, sort of a year and a half ago when we were kind of first spinning out. Um, and like everything we've built so far has been like with, with a very small team and very focused. Uh, we're really kind of proud of how much we've done with quite a small team. Um, but this is, you know, this, this token is kind of our first sort of really big, uh, change to that, um, and, you know, be able to move fast. And, we, and we've just raised, um, from a really like impressive group of, um, strategic supporters who are going to help in all sorts of ways from new user onboarding advice around token economics, uh, liquidity provision and, and, and more, um, specifically for 12.5% of this token supply. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of really, really top names. We're going to be um, announcing very soon who those are, um, who are going to basically allow it. You know, I think I think really put put the DVF token on the map and mean that um, it's going to have at outset some of the, the kind of best uh, minds in the space helping to, to shape what Diversify does as we go forward. Have you guys thought about mobile at all? Because... You know, it feels like it would be a really good fit. Um, you know, gasless trading and all that type of stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's one of the most important things on on our roadmap, and it's not it's not easy to do, to do because we don't want to just launch, um, you know, a, 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 a sort of bad mobile app. I think that's almost worse than having nothing. Um, but I think DeFi and make and making it as accessible as possible is inevitably mobile and. Um, that will be something that we're launching this year, but uh, we want to do it really, really well. 
and there's a few new challenges around especially like kind of what signing and, and, and wallets for layer two that don't exist for layer one protocols and those are the things that we're we're tackling but i you know i, I personally think that mobile access to DeFi is, is pretty much the the kind of number one um priority long term for making diversify really accessible um i don't use you know DeFi on my mobile at all um i don't know if you do but um I don't think that DeFi is really built for mobile right now. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, it's because there is a lot more, there's a lot of um, complexity around, around, around wallets and also just that the general the mobile accessibility is pretty low um, for, for, for all DeFi apps. And so, it, you know, most people aren't just using one DeFi app. Um, they're using like m multiple different protocols and, and websites. And if, if one or two of them doesn't support mobile, then you can't really do any of your sort of flow and you might as well end up going back to your laptop. Um, I think that that's one of the nice things about layer two is you kind of do end up having more services available in, in one place. And so if you can do all of this stuff in one place, then you know, it makes more sense for it to be, for it to be mobile. Um, you have another project that seems to be interrelated with diversify and that's nectar i don't really know too much about it but maybe you could explain to me what nectar is yeah so nectar is um a kind of it, it's it's a it's a dao uh and it's a fully sort of self-run organization and it's extremely well funded it has a treasury of more than 30 million dollars worth of ether um actually it was it's not so much related to diversify but it was related to fnx which was like the previous project that myself and a few of our team were building um, and Nexus tokens were essentially distributed back in 2018, um, mainly to kind of the early supporters of, of FNX. Um, and um, since then, like when we first launched Diversify, we also like had various collaborations with, with Nectar, particularly kind of around some of the marketing and um, supporting uh, like a, the, the, that, the launch of that DAO. Um, so actually some of the DVF token that, we've, that we're just about to launch um, is being airdropped to Nectar holders as a kind of uh, recognition of that. Um, but yeah, I think Nectar is kind of interesting in that it has, a, has this huge treasury, um, which it could spend in, in all sorts of ways. Um, probably I think in terms of funding, one of the most sort of, one, one, potentially one of the largest DAOs out there. Um, and it uses DAO stack for, for kind of governance around that. Um, so I think we, we've learned quite a lot about what did and didn't work from, from that for, for diversify governance in that um, we probably want to make sort of very specific, um, clear uh, governance roles where like it's very actionable. Um, and um, yeah, that's uh, been, been relatively interesting. Governance is a very difficult topic. How do you think you're going to approach it? Uh, with diversify. So um, the the most important thing is, I, I think, making sure you have something that's worth governing, and that's what we put a lot of work into. Obviously, so far is launching this thing, like starting to grow the, the kind of number of, of users of it, and the and the total sort of value that's created and locked in it. Um, so we now have something that we believe is really interesting to govern. You know making important decisions about about fees and, and other aspects directly 
Um, so what we want to do next is kind of give the, the flexibility uh, for the community to really be able to take a steer in a, in a meaningful way, but without over overcomplicating it. And I think there's lots of examples where if you if you put too much burden on DeFi users on governance in terms of making like complex proposals or voting on them all the time, they just don't have the interest in doing that. It has to be um, simple and relevant. And so that's like kind of the first priority. Um, and the second thing is, is really making sure that there are strong like community leads and people who are able to kind of really champion these things, um, you know, various influencers and um, people who, who genuinely know a lot about economic, economics and have worked in other communities. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the strategic supporters are gonna, are gonna help a lot in, in, in kind of shaping the early, um, the, the early governance. So, um, one of the big, uh, one of the biggest, hottest topics in, uh, far yield farming lately has been this, uh, algo stable craze. And mm -hmm. since you were involved in tether, I'm wondering what your thoughts on it are and, uh, how important this, this area of DeFi could be or is. Um, probably a dangerous question to ask me in particular, just because, uh, I probably won't say the, the thing I'm supposed to say, but, um, you know, personally, you know, I've, I've taken an interest in like things like ESD, DSD, um, Fay protocol cracks and like a few others, um, just because I think they're interesting experiments. Um, you know, and I, and I, like, I tend to like to participate in interesting experiments in the DeFi space on a personal level, um, kind of want to see how they're going to work out. But yeah, personally, a lot of the algorithmic purely, especially purely like algorithmic stable coins, I just have no belief in like in that they will be successful long, long term. Um, and I think they're like a, a, maybe a fun thing to play around with, but I wouldn't want to like bet my, uh, bet, bet much money on them. Um, Partly because I think if people underestimate, even with like very good incentives, how hard it is to make a stable coin. And like there's so there's so there's just so much history now of um, of stable coins failing, um, of people underestimating how strong market pressures are on prices um, when you try to peg them to things. And um, it, you know it, it's it's easy to make something that like can make make it well, I, th I think it's, it's very hard to make something that people actually want um and so i think Faye recently is a good example where the fact that so much money went into it so far and the supply was so high was like great probably for getting awareness about it and and um and uh you know suddenly getting a lot of like protocol value into it but if people don't want to use it and they can't use it because it's not supporting on exchanges you can't deposit it into DeFi protocols and everything else it's, it's never going to manage to keep its peg, especially when, when it's so large. Um, if you take the example of DAI, which is obviously like over collateralized and I wouldn't call like fully algorithmic, I'd call it more like, yeah, just over collateralized stable coin. Um, even then it took years to build it up to its current size and it's, it wasn't easy. Like it has huge adoption. Like if you consider that 
um, in like almost all major centralized exchanges, almost all DeFi protocols, which is really impressive, but that was like difficult to do and took time. So I think it's gonna like, it, it requires the same level or, or more for algorithmic stable coins, which clearly have like a lot more to prove before they really are able to hold a peg. But that's um, just my personal opinion. I know there's like, there's a lot of people who um, I think are a lot more bullish on uh, algorithmic stable coins than I am. <laughs> You were supposed to only be bullish, Will. I told you before. How could you do this to me? <laughs> no, I uh, I agree with you. I I uh, it's um it's quite a hyped category, but it's pretty hard to like actually make something that works. Um, so, but people will continue to try nonetheless. Um, so you mentioned that you do like to participate in some experiments. Are there any projects that you're like in these days, farms, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the two things that I'm sort of most uh, excited, interesting in at the moment, one is is Lido uh, Stake Ether. So if you uh, stake uh, Ether, like to earn uh, the pro like protocol rewards, you, you, you could do that yourself by like spinning up um, your own node and, and staking your, your 32 ETH um, requires a lot of work and like you can't get it out for years or potentially until ETH 2.0 launches um, because they're permanently locked. Um, or you could do it via a centralized service, but the better alternative right now is to use uh, Lido state ether. So essentially you deposit into this pool and you get a state ether token that you can then use um, in DeFi separately, or you could sell to get back ETH, so you can instantly have stake, and it earns, it still earns like the, the kind of yield rewards over time. Um, and it's already adopted in Curve, for example, so you could stake your stake ETH there. And there's a few other newer uh, protocols that are now supporting it, and you can sort of then use it for yield farming, just like you would ETH, but while it's still earning this extra kind of eight to nine percent um, yield. So that kind of thing I think is, is really awesome. Um, and um, the other is is Y, which um, is a stable coin and I would class it as an algorithmic stable coin, um, but which isn't pegged to the dollar. It's pegged uh, to an arbitrary sort of value and then adjusted using um, a kind of a, a sort of a algorithmic control mechanism that's um, more akin to what's used in like most industrial um, like control mechanisms, temperature control mechanisms, for example. So um, it doesn't really have much like governance input, and um, is, is is kind of another interesting experiment. And like right now, in, in both cases, there are some very interesting yields you can earn for participating in in them. You just told me you don't like algo stables. Then you pitch me on uh, Rye over here. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think the difference is I wouldn't put like, you know, I, I think I wouldn't, I, I'm not buying Rye expecting to make a huge amount of money, but um, it's it's fun to play with. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, so I um, I wanted to ask who are your, some of your favorite content creators or writers or YouTubers, anything like that? Uh, any, any favorite people to follow on crypto Twitter? Um, yeah, that's a, a tough one for me, I'm afraid. Um, let me have a look. 
It's okay. It's not your question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a good question there. A good answer there, I'm afraid. That's no problem. Um, out is anything like who are your favorite authors? Favorite TV show? Um, I get it. You you spend all your time in crypto. What are you gonna do? Exactly. You're building your business. You don't got time for anything else. You're a busy man. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, no problem, no problem. So, um, after the listeners, you know, listening to this conversation, how would you like them to take action? So, definitely would say if you haven't used any layer two solution before, check out Diversify. It's really easy to onboard now. At the moment, we're offering a twenty dollar, twenty USDT like reimbursement for your gas because one of the sort of barriers is that with gas prices so high. You have to pay for a deposit, and um, that you know has, has a gas cost. So, for the next few weeks, if you if you use it, you'll get some of that reimbursed, um, and then you can try trading all without gas cost, which is uh, really cool. And I think you'll get a taste for for why I'm so excited about layer two and why the whole industry is so excited about layer two. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at diversify oh, yeah at yeah twitter.com/diversify. Um, and um, we, we, we kind of published a lot of info about, um, you know, obviously what we're doing, but also about the industry as a whole and how um, layer two is evolving for Ethereum and, and what it, um, and, and, you know, lots of interesting research. So um, definitely worth following. Five, 10 years into the future, Diversify has been a success, a wild success. What does it look like? I think the ultimate goal that I'd like to imagine is um, similar to a lot of the kind of challenger banks today, where um, you know there's a there's a there's an app and you can you can hold most of your funds there, earn yield, make payments when you need to, and and, and trade and access all sorts of other DeFi services. Um, and that's I think the, the the goal we're building for. Whether it's diversify or other um, you know, DeFi apps, like I think that within five years is completely believable and um yeah pretty exciting awesome awesome all right will thank you for taking the time today i really appreciate it and i hope to see the continued success of diversify going into the future awesome yeah that was um that was great